0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, July 11th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. There are large areas of the law where we simply don't know much about Brett Kavanaugh, the new nominee to the Supreme Court, as he sits on the D.C. Circuit and doesn't get many of the cases that would give Americans a sense of his philosophy of things like police misconduct, education, and other areas. Walter Olson, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, comments on the record of the new nominee to the Supreme Court. What kind of cases does the D.C. Circuit simply not see much of that uh, we would hope a judge like uh, Brett Kavanaugh would have seen more of so he has a record in those areas?
1: The D.C. Circuit is very atypical of other courts. It hears lots and lots of challenges to federal agency action. Those are important, of course, but because it only hears geographical challenges from the District of Columbia, it tends not to hear things like police brutality cases uh, or uh, prisoner cases or uh, even school discipline cases. And I think of Neil Gorsuch, for example, when he was on the Tenth Circuit. One of the cases that everyone noticed was someone who had been uh, sort of jerked around by the schools in I think Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, uh, this was not a Washington issue particularly, but it was an issue that, uh, shows very dramatically how, uh, a case that, uh, you know, can turn someone's life upside down can wind up in federal court and the standards applied, uh, can make all the difference. So. Kavanaugh comes, like several other members of the Supreme Court, with uh, this special experience, obviously very helpful for many Supreme Court cases in the mysteries of administrative law and uh, separation of powers and and things like that. Um, it isn't as if the court is getting more specialized this way because the last two judges to re, uh, leave the court, uh, Scully and Kennedy, came from the DC circuit and the ninth respectively, and the two judges to replace them are from the DC circuit and the tenth respectively. So the court is kind of stay, staying stable and always having an overrepresentation from the DC circuit, uh, but that, that overrepresentation representation is not gotten worse.
0: Okay, so with respect to uh areas where we might have hoped for more cases, what glimmers do we have with respect to education or due process or civil liberties?
1: Well, that's a good question. I mean, certainly, some of the cases that wound up in D.C. because they were federal cases um, uh, tie into wider issues of privacy and surveillance. For example, that and and Kavanaugh's uh, participated in uh, those cases. One that comes to mind. Uh, that could have happened anywhere, uh, and uh, we can get into it because he's been criticized, I, I think, unfairly. Is is a defamation case uh, in which the question was whether or not to apply um, state level uh, slap suit protections. That is the special statutes that some states have enacted, um, uh, giving extra protections to people sued for defamation to try to weed out the uh, tactical or or, or groundless ones early on, and what happened there was that, uh, and that the Hollywood Reporter ran a critical piece of, recently about this. Um, what happened here is that Kavanaugh said uh, that a lot of the state slap suit. Uh, law meant to protect people from being sued over things they say, uh, was procedural in nature and that you couldn't use those protections when the case wound up in federal court instead of state court. Uh, and That's an application of a completely conventional procedural rule that, that the courts have, which is that if you're in federal court, you have to follow federal procedure. Uh, even if you would prefer state procedure as more favorable, you can't get it. And So that technically, what he was doing is reading whether particular clauses were more like Substance or more like procedure. This is something only lawyers love, but it often winds up determining the outcome of cases. And uh, so he was criticized by a well-known First Amendment lawyer, saying if he had only been more sympathetic to people who get sued over what they say and write, uh, he would have um, made things come out so that he could borrow this uh, helpful, more protective state law. And to me, that's unconvincing. To me, you know, he he thinks uh, Kavanaugh thinks like a lawyer. You know, he is one of these people with uh, Uh, You know, who just it's second nature to think in terms of these abstract categories first and perhaps the actual outcome of the case, not anywhere near first, Uh, but but rather to uh, work with the categories and and the boxes that the paper goes into.
0: All right. So when you apply the term national security to a case, uh, judges of all stripes, it seems, just say, well, maybe we don't want to rule on the merits of the claims with regard to uh, liberty or other important constitutional concerns?
1: I think across the board, it's hard to find judges who will not give a lot of deference to uh, the claims made by the national security apparatus for what they say they need. And uh, Kavanaugh has come in for criticism. Uh, he wrote a concurrence in a case about... Uh, the collection of phone records, uh, in which he it was divided into two parts. One of them was to say that um, it was not a search, and under th- certainly the prevailing law of that time, uh, he was just following precedent. You know that the, the courts had made it clear that it was not a search. The the other half of it was uh, he had language in there about, um, and besides, it might flunk the um, separate look that we would take at it about. Uh, whether national security interests required in any way. And that that has rung alarm bells with um, uh, Senator Rand Paul, with a couple of other um, uh, people who watch these issues. Uh, And what I said the other day is I'm glad that they are watching the issues. I'm glad that uh, there is someone to challenge uh, these assertions of national security. What I'm not so sure is whether you are going to get many nominees to the Supreme Court from either a Republican president or a Democratic president who do not come from this this great majority of judges who are kind of deferential. Uh, that's just kind of the way of the land, I'm afraid.
0: What are the areas where you look at this judge, uh, potential justice, and say, finally, there's somebody articulating this view that I, Walter o- Olson of the Cato Institute
1: and overlawyer.com, have been saying for years? It's hard to do that with Kavanaugh, and I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean it more that uh, most of the things that I believe him to be quite good on, there are already justices who were in there. Uh, I mean, let's start with First Amendment. Uh, Kavanaugh is considered a really strong First Amendment judge, um, and the cases he's heard in that area uh, again, our regulatory agency cases, a lot of important uh, campaign finance issues one of the first ones it's a bit piquant because he ruled for Emily's list the famous feminist and and liberal uh, group he said that uh, uh they deserved to to beat the regulators when when the regulators were trying to uh to to tie them up but on down the line also in commercial speech um but here it's almost impossible to come up to the record of Anthony Kennedy, the man he would be replacing, because Kennedy has been described as the strongest free speech judge of all time. And I'm not sure I would argue with that. It's just awfully, awfully hard to be as good as Kennedy on these free speech issues. But it's nice that Kavanaugh, uh, you know, seems to be in the same general league. He seems very strong on that. Now, on separation of powers issues, you know, maybe that's where uh, he would bring... Uh, the biggest distinction because uh, Kavanaugh has been working on those sorts of issues uh, for his entire life. Uh, first, um, uh, you know, working for the uh, places like the, uh, the Star Investigation, uh, th- but also his record of I, I think it's supposed to be 300 cases or so on the D.C. Circuit that he wrote and many others that he, he joined or participated in, uh, which and I'm going with someone else's numbers on that were said to have. Uh, struck down federal agency actions 70 times. Now, here's where you get to the real core of uh, where people are expecting some good things from Kavanaugh is that uh, as... Uh, Jonathan Adler put it on the Rollout Conspiracy this morning. Uh, It isn't that he always strikes down what the agency does. He makes them do their homework though and uh, he holds the agencies to a high standard. He will let the agencies do some things the libertarians wouldn't approve of uh, if they get all their ducks in a row and show that they've really done their homework. But many other times, uh, he will make libertarians happy by uh, striking down regulations, and not always from a, quote, conservative side of, of uh, when they've been sued by business, but also sometimes from a, quote, liberal side when a public interest group has sued to strike down a regulation. Um, he um, keeps the agency's feet to the fire, uh, and that is one element of... Uh, what I think most libertarians want courts to do, you know, whether or not he will someday endorse some of the ideas of uh, a right to earn a living or um, stronger rights against regulatory takings. In the meantime, we want him to keep regulators from feeling that they can, can just get away with whatever they want, and he definitely is that kind of judge. So that's important in itself. Separation of powers goes beyond that, obviously. It means telling Congress that sometimes that it can't poach on Uh, the realm of the judiciary or the executive telling the executive that it, it can't poach and so forth. Now, Kavanaugh has a reputation for being a pro-executive guy. That is often exaggerated. He's, he's, you know, pretty mainstream, although more pro-executive than some libertarian writers. Nonetheless, you know, if you threw a stone at a Federalist Society meeting, you know, he might be the median person that you would hit or just about. But that, all of that adds up to someone who, in an area that is often muddled, in an area where the courts have made various mistakes in the past, but which has been sorting itself out. Um, You're going to have someone who is very familiar with something that Scalia used to talk about and most good libertarian law professors can give you chapter and verse on, which is that the structural protections of the constitution uh, involving separation of powers are also protections for individual liberty. By keeping them from um, blurring together, from keeping them from uniting in one branch, uh, both Um, executive and and judicial or legislative and judicial powers, you are, in fact, ultimately protecting individual liberty from being run roughshod over in various ways. And this comes up in this last term of the Supreme Court, for example. court examined the question of whether the Securities and Exchange Commission and by implication many other federal agencies can uh, route cases, route um, enforcement cases in which they are trying to prevent someone from practicing in their business, for example, route them to their own administrative law judges whose paychecks they sign within the agency. and The court didn't quite squarely face that issue. Um, But this is the kind of thing that the libertarians are hoping to get some progress on. Um, Clearer enforcement, clearer policing of some of the types of excessive delegation or some of the types of um, gathering of too much power into one agency's hands uh, that we have been complaining about for 50 years or more.
0: Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.